Hey, podcast listeners, Mackenzie here. I wanted to personally thank you for listening and being a part of our community. We couldn't do this show without you. As we shape the next series of the Living Centered Podcast, I wanted to invite you specifically to help us out. We want to hear from you. We're currently in the process of curating a series all around exploring the relationships that make up our lives. Together with various experts, clinicians, and on-site alum, we'll explore the nuances, intricacies, and impact of the relationships within which we all exist. From families of origin to friendships, dating, working relationships, and beyond. We hope to host conversations with guests who bring a definitive and unique perspective. This is where you come in. We want to know your pressing relationship questions. You can submit your questions to podcast at experienceonsite.com and you might just hear an answer on our next series. I think there are a handful of lessons that most of us, everybody has their handful of things that we're never gonna really nail. We're always gonna kind of manage the tension of it. A lot of what pushed me or invited me to write this book is exactly what you're talking about, Mackenzie, that idea that, that a good adult or a mature person knows everything, has certainty, has nailed everything down, um, knows the answers, is is an expert in their field, and, and it's sort of the cement has dried. And I think not only is that sort of a limiting way to live, I think it's pretty dangerous. I think our world changes fast enough where if we're not learning all the time, we put ourselves in a really bad position in terms of being closed to new ideas or emerging thoughts or new feelings. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Hey, y'all. I am so excited about this week's episode. We invited our friend Shauna Nequist back, and she sat down with Lindsay and I to talk all about starting over, being a beginner, and the journey that she's been on the last few years that she documents in her incredibly beautiful new book, I Guess I Haven't Learned That Yet, Discovering New Ways of Living When the Old Ways Stop Working. This book is a love letter to all of us who have been walking through transition over the last couple of years. I can't think of anyone whose idea of normal hasn't gotten a little shaken up over the last couple of years. She reflects on creating a quieter, deeper life, her evolving faith, gathering people around the table, and the magic of saying, I don't know. I love this interview. I love Shauna. She's such a warm soul, and I love how much grace, vulnerability, and honesty she brought to this topic. If you don't know Shauna, she's a New York Times bestselling author who describes herself as a bookworm, a storyteller, and a passionate gatherer of people. Y'all, I promise you're going to want to be her best friend after we finish this episode. I know I do. If you want to hear more from Shauna, you can check out episode 20, Living Centered in Authentic Community. So without further ado, meet our friend Shauna. Well, hello, Shauna. I'm so excited to be with you. Hi, it's good to be with you too. Thank you. Yes. Uh, before we started, I mentioned it, but you are on the gauntlet of book promotion. Um, and I would make up that that would be a little tiring. And so this book that you're putting out into the world, how has that helped you prepare for this season of 
book promotion and busy and hustling and all of that? Well, I would say um, one of the things I've learned the hard way, it, it does not come naturally to me. I My impulse when things get difficult is to get into like hustle and productivity mode to like, you know, like a, I, I really have tried to learn over the last several years a lot about rest and grace and play. And I've made some really good progress, I think. But when things get <laughs> busy or stressful, it's interesting how I switch right back into like hustle mode. Like, okay, guys, yeah. there will be no more fun for the next two months. There will just be like grinding it out. And life keeps teaching me that's the exact wrong impulse. It's it's mm. during seasons like this when I need more self-compassion, more rest, more play, more permission to say no, more um, unassigned time. And I always go the opposite. And then I come back around to like, whoa, 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 whoa. The only way through a season like this is lots of space, lots of grace, lots of play, lots of rest. So I'm doing my best. Mm. Doing your best and doing that. Yeah. Uh, you you quoted something in your book about self-compassion and how it's the opposite of what we think, like actually taking the space that we need, slowing down, we do the best work. And I remember reading that and being like, that's not, that can't be true. Because <laughs> I, I, I lean into the same tendencies of, okay, well, let's hustle down. Let's go more. A little bit good is a whole lot better. So it's a good invitation to us all to slow down and, and to do play. So that's awesome. I'm glad that you're leaning into that this season. Yeah, I have a tendency to really push myself too hard and then to like be totally checked out. Yes. Um, you know, it's like finding that gear shift or that mode that's like manageable for the long haul is like a harder thing for me to do. I can go really hard and I can like turn off, <laughs> but it is, it is uncomfortable finding that more manageable pace, I guess. I've even noticed like hiking, like I'm like, I go so fast and then I stop and I can't breathe. <laughs> mm -hmm. And yeah. it's like, why do I do this? Why mm -hmm. can't I find a pace that's comfortable to like stay in? So I, I, mean, I just relate to you. You guys are speaking my language. I The first week of doing these podcasts, I had a very busy week, did a whole bunch of podcasts. And then I went to church on Sunday morning and I realized, and it, like, it's not an extremely large church. It's not like I was overwhelmed mm -hmm. by thousands of people. Um, but it is a community where I know a lot of people. So I was really excited to see a lot of my friends that I don't see during the week. And as I was sitting there, I realized I was so tired of talking mm -hmm. in like public ways that I, I, I wanted to leave early because I felt like I, I can't even talk to my friends. Like I'm, which for me means like we're in a real bad situation. And so I came home and I was like, Aaron, something's wrong with me. <laughs> um, and so I like took a long nap and spent some time alone the rest of that day. But it really is um, learning to listen to yourself and slow down when you need to. I'm sort of embarrassed at how hard it is for me and how much I'm still learning about it. But to hear that you guys have similar impulses, that helps me a little bit. Yeah. And even like to have the grace to be like, I thought I figured this out already. Like, surely I've learned this one already. And then you're like, no, I'm going to keep learning it. I think for there are a handful of lessons that most of us, everybody has their handful of things that we're never going to really nail. We're always going to kind of manage the tension of it. And that's one for me. Hmm. That's really beautiful. 
I guess I haven't learned that yet, is your, the title of your new book. And so as we're talking about learning, and you were saying, that's one of the lessons for me that I keep learning. Can you talk a little bit about the beauty of learning? Because I think in a culture that tells us we have to be experts, um, I have to know this, or, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Like, there's just such an ownership to not be learning. So what is the beauty and what is the magic of learning? I think a lot of what pushed me or invited me to write this book is exactly what you're talking about, Mackenzie, that idea that that a good adult or a mature person knows everything, has certainty, yeah. has nailed everything down, um, knows the answers, is is an expert in their field, and, and it's sort of the cement has dried. And I think not only is that sort of a limiting way to live, I think it's pretty dangerous. Yeah. I think our world changes fast enough where if we're not learning all the time, um, we put ourselves in a really bad position in terms of being closed to new ideas yeah. or emerging thoughts or new feelings. And moving, you know, is like a very kind of comprehensive crash course in being a beginner in every way. Yeah. And the moving, so the moving process sort of put us into like the rookie position again. We moved from the suburbs of Chicago. So from the suburbs to the city, from the Midwest to the Northeast from a place we had lived forever and ever and had a really deep sense of like roots and familiarity to a place where we knew like, you know, five people. And so initially we were in this like beginner mode yeah, in our move, in the move part of our life, but it became like this really contagious life-giving thing. Like, wait a minute, what if in addition to being curious about this city, I was also like curious about our marriage and curious about my writing mm. life and curious about being a good parent. And what if instead of approaching every situation as an expert who has answers, I were to approach every situation as a learner who can learn something from every conversation and every interaction that has become a really life-giving, really freeing way to live. That's amazing. What does that posture look like? Like when you're re-evaluating and trying to be in that posture of learning in everyday moments, how, how do you make sure you're in learning mode versus I've got this mode or expert mode? I think one of, one of the ways to do it is by asking a lot of questions. Everyone has something to teach us. Everyone has a body of experience that, and most people really love to share the things they have or are learning. So like mm. Lindsay, if you and I were out for coffee and we haven't seen each other for a while, I'd say, tell me about being a mother. And, and instead of me saying like, I have done this, let me tell you how it is to be a mother. I'd mm. ask you about it because I'm still mothering in different phases than you're in, but I really believe yeah. that what you're learning and experiencing right now has something to teach me as a mother or just as a human in the world. I think that sense of curiosity changes the way I interact with people because it's less yeah, about reporting that. some sort of body of wisdom that I have and more about like, Mackenzie, what is it that you have learned about this? Or how have you figured this out? It makes the world feel really interesting. Yeah. And like there's something new around every corner, as opposed to it feeling sort of demanding, like, what am I going to say to this? What's my answer to this? What's my policy on this? I have so few policies right now. I just have so many questions. Mm. I think that changes the way that you approach your days, too. Like, um, I think I've just been in this season in my life of feeling like I'm in Groundhog Day. And this 
theme keeps coming up in different things that I'm reading and other interviews we've done on the podcast about just intentionally looking for the wonder and getting out of the trap of it's never going to change. It's always going to look this way. Because the reality is I'm in the doldrums of having a toddler. Sometimes my days look the same. We rinse and repeat. But if I take a step back and say, hey, we're both beginners at this. I've never been a mom of a toddler and you've never been a toddler. And if I like use her eyes and look at the world and get that same curiosity, it takes me out of the doldrums and reminds me to look for wonder. I think that just keeps coming up again and again and everywhere that I look. And so... Yeah, I just, I really relate with asking more questions than having more answers in this season of my life. I love that. When you guys made a really big shift and a really big move, I think your whole life was different. And so you were asking all kinds of questions. What did the fatigue of that look like? Because I'm someone who loves new, but I also think I get tired by new. So was there a fatigue with so much new and having not a lot of grounding? Oh, 100%. And I think we... We really worked hard, especially for our kids. And this sounds like small stuff, but I, I was going to say it's small. It's not really. Um, so like when we were living in Barrington, our kids had, um, they played Little League and they did a bunch of after school stuff and they had pretty busy schedules and they liked that. That's what they chose. And then when we moved, we assessed pretty quickly that just school in the city was enough for them in a given week. Like mm. Henry school is about a mile away. Matt goes to this like enormous, big old historic, beautiful elementary school. It looks like something out of a, of, out of a movie. Cool. And, but we noticed that the, the amount of newness that they were living with every single day, they were like pretty much maxed. And so I think our initial yeah. instinct was like, let's go to every museum in the city. Let's try every restaurant. Let's go to all five boroughs immediately. And we really had to downshift to allow for their capacity to kind of catch up. Mm. Um, and we kept a really close eye on their kind of energy level and adaptability. And I know Jen Hatmaker talks about this and she's, her kids are older than mine, but she's been talking about this a lot for years about how much kids, especially kids who go to school need Friday nights that are home and easy. Yeah. Like if, if as a parent, you're like, Hey guys, you just finished a big week of school. You just got off the bus or walked home from school or whatever. And guess what? We're going to so-and-so's house and -and so-and-so's house. We're doing this. And your kids are like, Oh no. And so I think we really learned from that. And especially we kept Mm. weekends pretty quiet for a while. And we kind of said, listen, like we know that we're living like this once in a lifetime season in the city. We don't know how long we'll stay. But that's not a good reason to exhaust ourselves going to every single museum and show in our first six months. And so I'd say for anybody who's going through a big change, like having a baby or having a toddler or ha- or moving houses or changing jobs, yeah. those transitions take more out of us than we think. And to yeah. allow – like I tend to not love the – um metaphors of ourselves as computers, but I think this one really works for me. The idea of how many programs or how many tabs we have open all the time. Being a new parent, living in a new place, having a new job, whatever those changes are, it's like having 15 tabs open all the time. And you don't realize the drain Mm. on your battery when it's happening, but it's very real. And I think... You know, there's a little bit of pushback in our culture sometimes about self-care that it's like only for fancy ladies and it's like mostly expensive things we put on our faces. And I uh-huh. think that's not what we're talking about at all. I think what we're talking about uh-uh. is tending to ourselves as though we are human 
and limited yeah, and as though our bodies and spirits deserve care and rest. And that's one of the things I think about, uh, especially when my kids were little, mm-hmm. is I looked, I tried to compare the way that I was always looking at, are they tired? Are they cold? Are they comfortable? Are they getting enough play? Are they getting enough good nutrition? The way I tended to them is also the way I should be tending to myself and never more so than in seasons of great change. I'm not great at it, but I'm getting better. Yeah, I I have moved a lot, you know this. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I have experienced in moving is sort of, I appreciate sort of the clean slate that you're mm-hmm. talking about of like, hey, like life is usually when I'm leaving someplace pretty full. I've jammed it with all the things and all the people. And then you move someplace else and then there's these periods of kind of quiet and you really have to be intentional about like, making invitations and like going out and doing things. And um, I love what you're saying about really assessing that as an opportunity to do things different and to realize that you don't get those opportunities all the time, but transition is one. And so, like you said, I've had a baby recently and I'm in this kind of new transition. And I think I'm, I didn't even realize until you said it, that I am kind of processing like, what does, what fills me up in this season? Because it's different than what filled me up in my last season. Yeah. And it, and all I know is I don't feel filled up (laughs) (laughs) in the same way. And so I was telling a friend that I was like, I know I'm still trying to figure out how I like replenish in the season that I'm in. But I'm realizing that I was trying to do the things I did before, but they're not doing the trick. Yeah, I totally get that. (laughs) And it's just, it's sad. And it's like you grieve because I want to be the person I was before a little bit, but I also can't. And so it just is that awkward middle of transition. And so I just, it's been cool listening to you talk and things are clicking into place about just giving myself grace and looking at as an opportunity to get curious and to reset about like what what is it that I need and what are things that feel more energizing. And give yourself permission to be a different human. Molecularly, you're a different human after having a child and going through transitions. And I think so often we're holding on to what's comfortable or what's like this worked before and so it should work again. Um, and out of the fear of trying something new, we just hold on to what's actually not good. Shawna, you said in your book that At one point, everything that used to work for you no longer worked. And I think, like, when you reach that point, I I think in different transitions and different seasons, like, what worked before doesn't work anymore. And it's scary to lean into, could I create a new rhythm? And so I see you doing that all over, Lindsay. Like, you're creating new rhythms and everything's new. Everything's new. One of the things that has really helped me is, uh, you know, I think, it's really overwhelming to think about like if, if in any of these seasons, any of our particular transitions, if someone was like, you know what, you know what you should do is you should go away for three days with like a life coach and have them just sort. <laughs> I'd be like, no, that is not. Come on. <laughs> I come on. I can't get my laundry done. I'm not going to see a life coach for three days. But what does really help is paying attention a tiny little bit every day, like gathering mm-hmm. data every day. And if I could like, One thing that helps me is I start the morning, 10 minutes of writing about two things, pain and desire. What hurts and what do I want? 
Mm. Women especially are not always permitted to talk about or feel or acknowledge their own pain or their own desire. And so we feel, we have those things. Those are real. They're, they're very real, but they kind of emerge out in other ways and often, but we can't articulate them. And I think it's very worth when, when you're in a place where like the old things either don't exist anymore or aren't available to you anymore or don't help the same way. If you start off with just a couple minutes at the beginning of the day, pain and desire, what hurts and what do I want? And then at the end of the day, gratitude. Where did I see goodness, hope, beauty? Where did I feel most like myself? Where did I sense God's presence? Any of the things that you're grateful for, over time, those become a map to lead you to the changes that you need to make. Because you'll start saying the same things over and over again, right? The pain point will be extremely clear if after three weeks, everything you've talked about is loneliness, Or everything you've talked about is feeling like things are too busy or whatever. You start to see the trend lines. But it's easy for me to feel like if I don't have the space to do like a huge deep dive, I can't do anything. And that's not true. I really think 10 to 15 minutes a day, 10 in the morning, 5 at night can give you a good map to your next place. Yeah. And this is dumb, but like the practicality of how do you do that every day? Like I like have tried the line a day and I am so great about like so great about it for like a month and a half and then I stopped doing it and it just falls off so how do you like do you keep a journal right by your bed is it what are practical ways that I can make myself do that because I want to and I can see how revelatory that would be um I will tell you I will confess right now I am world's worst routine keeper I'm terrible at it I don't do anything the same way every day really and so I would say I don't do it every day I aim for Mm -hmm. every day, which means I probably hit 75 to 80%. And I do it a million different ways, which there are certain personality types who are going to hear me say this and they're going to like pass out with the anxiety it causes. (laughs) But like sometimes I just email myself, like on my phone. I just write in an email. Sometimes I write in a pretty journal. Sometimes I write on a post it and then immediately throw it away. Sometimes I write it in a document on my computer. Sometimes I do a voice note. Sometimes I just think it through Mm -hmm. while I'm walking. For me, extremely structured routines. Um, I get a perverse joy from breaking the commitments I've made, which is not a good quality. But like, as soon as I decide this is what I do every day, then I'm just delighted to not do it. Because I don't, I don't know, I'd want to be the boss of myself. I don't know, it's not good. But so I have to find lots of different options to get the same thing done. Mm -hmm. And that's my best shot at it. And I would also say, we do it when we need it, right? So if it's not something you need right now, don't do it. If you have a sense that like, man, I don't, I'm not tracking well enough with my own self and my needs and my desires and getting my needs met, then you do it. Yeah. A friend of mine says we only change when the pain level gets high enough. And I think that's true, Mm. right? Like you only develop a skincare regimen because you're tired of looking at your face. You know, you're like, oh gosh, I need this. But you don't start it when you're, before you're ready. All of these things that we do that help us, we do it out of the sense of need and that's okay. When you were saying the different ways you do it, I realized that it's about the process of doing it, not having, like, keeping it and piling it away for future. A hundred percent. Okay. That's helpful, too. That's exactly what I was going to say, that it is more about the process of getting it out of you Mm -hmm. um, and making those connections, maybe not even literally, but you start to just feel it in yourself. Um, What are some of the other, like, I do this because of the process, not even the end result sometimes that you do. Um, walking. 
reading, mm. cooking. Obviously, there is an end result in cooking, like my family gets fed, but there are yeah. a lot of other ways to get them fed. I think because so much of my life is like non-physical, so much, so much of my work life, right, is about thoughts and feelings and typing. That's it. Yeah. So to get to do something a little bit physical, chopping, that it's sense oriented, you can smell it, you can hear it sizzling in the pan. A lot of times I'll cook like, and Aaron knows this about me by now. When I, he comes in at three o'clock in the afternoon and I'm like cooking up a storm. He knows that like, that might not be dinner. That just might be like, I needed to be in the kitchen, right? There could already be dinner made or whatever, or where we have reservations. That's something that used to, you used to be confused about. He's like, are we, are we not keeping the dinner reservation? And then why are you in the kitchen? I'm in the kitchen because I want to have the experience of using my hands and my nose and my ears mm-hmm. and my creativity, not because anybody's hungry. Yeah. Walking is the same thing. You know, you can always take a subway or an Uber and it's going to be faster, but the act of walking is really healing for me. Um, that's one of my like emergency buttons. Like if everything's falling apart, getting outside and walking is one of the quickest ways to get me back on track. And then I would say reading. The act of reading, it's not yeah. like I want, like, oh, I have to finish this book. Like it's a goal. The act of reading is really pleasurable and healing to me. And so, it's something I do every single day and it provides me deep, deep pleasure. Like I can't even imagine a life without reading. I think so much of that doesn't have like an end result. And I think so often I I catch myself at the end of the day, if someone says like, how was your day? I respond by saying, oh, it was good. I got this and this and this and this done. And the metric that I use is all about accomplishments or productivity. And when I start to look at did I get in my body? That's the questions I've tried to ask myself. Did I get in my body today? Because so much of what I do is a screen, is a microphone, is Microsoft Word and mm-hmm. whatever than getting in my body. Or did I connect with people? Just like changing the metrics of success is really hard because I want to accomplish. It's really hard, but I think it's really beautiful. And I think, um, you know, the word delight is really important to me. Mm. So like that's one of my kind of metrics for the day. Did I experience delight? Did I live in such a way that I was easily delighted? Did I um, mm-hmm. stop and enjoy beauty or connection or hope or pleasure? Those are meaningful metrics to me. And and increasingly, productivity and the to-do list and what I got done is less and less valuable to me. Hey, friends. It's Mackenzie and Hannah. Hi. We just wanted to stop in and talk to you a little bit about the Living Center program. Yes. If you have listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you've definitely heard us talk on and on about it. It is our flagship workshop in-person experience that Mackenzie and I have both also done. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just can't speak highly enough about it. No. Life-changing experience. I think for me, it was one of the best things that I've ever done for myself. Yeah. uh, We always say that it just gives you an opportunity to reset and make Mm -hmm. sure that you are being the person that you want to be. Yeah, and I think so much we just get caught in the hustle and bustle of life. And then all of a sudden you look back and think, what am I chasing? Why am I chasing it? And it's just an opportunity for you to reset, uh, to take some time away and really look at the person that you are and the person you want to be. So we are now offering it several times a month on both of our campuses. Yes, and that's huge. I'm so excited that we're now able to offer it on both in California and in Tennessee and that we're just being able to offer it for more people. And if you've ever wanted to learn more about it, we just invite you to connect with one of our admissions team members. They'll give you details and help you know if this is the right in-person experience for you or maybe it's something else. So give us a call at 800-341-7432 or you can email them at admissions at onsiteworkshops.com. Now let's jump back into the interview. 
you say some, and I haven't gotten to read the book yet, but in the setting up of the book that you found yourself in sort of a season of chaos and pain, and that sort of catalyzed the move and just change and really an uh, analysis of what was working and what wasn't working. For people in one of those hard seasons where they're finding themselves sort of at the end of their rope or like hitting their head against a wall of like, this used to work and it's not working anymore. What are some of like the early triage things that you can do for yourself to begin the process, maybe before you step into the posture of learning? Mm, That's a great question. Well, one of the dynamics that I encountered was I am an overstayer. I am a, I'm a holder honor. Uh, I don't pay attention to the early signs. You know, there are some people who always leave early, right? They're like, this is about to go bad. I'll probably start packing. I'm the opposite. I'm like, Mm-mm, nope, this is my life and I live here forever. This is what I do. I am staying with it no matter what. That has not served me particularly well. And so one of the things, okay, the, and this sounds like a, a long story, but I, I promise it will arrive somewhere. So we're excited about it. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I have historically, I am a summer person. I love summertime. I love flip-flops, ponytails, the beach, sweet corn, the whole bit. Like, I love it. Also, this is very controversial about me. I do not like fall. I don't like pumpkin oh, spice. Oh, no fall No. I, everything's dying. Why would I like this? Oh. I, I dislike it. I don't like cinnamon yeah. as a rule. I don't like turtlenecks. I don't get excited about boots. I, I like none of it. And some of it is I just don't like it and everything's dying and it doesn't taste the way I want things to taste. But then also it takes my precious time, my summertime, right? So it sounds silly, but I was thinking about it and talking about it and writing about it a little bit. And I realized there's something a little immature about someone who only loves summertime. The seasons are there for a reason. And what is it in me that's resisting so hard? And what, what is it about me that says it should always be life vibrance, leaves mm. blooming, full farmer's markets? What is it about me that's unwilling to accept this pattern that has been like written into our earth's way of regenerating itself, right? This is how the world has been created. There's the the beautiful flourishing of summer. And then things have to wither and die in order for Mm -hmm. there to be a season of silence and fallowness and darkness in order for new life to begin again. This is how the world is. And Mm. I pretend not to know that. And I like hang on to summer for dear life. But how much richer would my experience be if in every area of my life I said there will be a summertime in this part of my life and then things will come to to an end and I have to let them die in order to make space for something new to be born. I mean, that that it's so simple. It's like, you know, farming um, and also the Paschal mystery and also Easter. I mean, it's all over in our culture, but I'm sort of the last one to know. But I think uh, one thing I'm doing right now, so if if going back to the original question, if, if someone said, man, like something's wrong, things are falling apart, things aren't working the way they used to, or I, I can't find my footing, in, I would say, Is it possible that you need to let dead things die? 
that mm. you need to admit that there are some things in your life that have run their course, either relationships or jobs or ways of living or places where the most honest and loving thing you can do is let dead things die. I feel like I was holding dead branches, pretending it was summertime for a long time in my life. And it would have been much more loving to myself, to my family, to say, I'm going to go ahead and call this one. This is dead. And we need to move forward and make space for new life. And uh, I'm not great at it, but I'm learning it. Have you read Parker Palmer, Mm -hmm. Let Your Life Speak? Yes, I love it so much. It's like my very favorite. But the way he talks about the seasons was so helpful for me. I think I underlined the whole book. Absolutely. Because it really is like, I feel like when we can start to shift and see the world that way, nature becomes such a symbol for everything in our lives. And that there is, for new growth to happen, it's like things have to die. Absolutely. And it's part of the process and it feels yucky. <laughs> I don't like the dead of winter, but I like have to go through it to get back to spring and summer. And so I think that's such a helpful analogy. And to begin to say, what are, what are the things that are in full bloom right now that I need to either figure out how to like cultivate for the next mm-hmm. season? Yeah. Do I need to trim them back? Do I need to like what... How do I steward them well and what they need? Because I can't expect them to always just be this like blooming bush. And I I think the last couple of years have taught me, and I think I've taught all of us, not all good things last forever, right? Mm. But while they're there, they're really worth loving and treasuring. And there will be good new things in the future, things we can't even imagine yet, but they won't be the same and that's okay. I think trying to get comfortable with this idea of impermanence and change. And I've been really bad at that. I've been really change averse. Mm -hmm. And now I'm starting to see how valuable and freeing it is to say, what is blooming in this season and how can I soak it up and really be grateful for it every day, Mm -hmm. knowing that it's just for a season and that something else will emerge after that. Mm. I've often described, I think it's funny that you called fall like, the comparison you had is like the person who leaves when it's time or before it's time. I've often said fall is the person at the party that leaves at the exact right moment. <laughs> like I'm not that person. I stay too long or I like leave too early, but they like know when exactly it is. They make the Irish goodbye and you leave and you're like, oh, I wish I had had more of them. And what if we looked at that as a transitional season? What if we looked at fall, the falls of our lives as the space and the time to really honor And be grateful and have gratitude for what was and just honor it as we know, like, it's coming to an end. I'm not good at the middle. I don't like the transition time. But how do we get better about anticipating the end and and doing that well? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But I just, as we're talking through, I think that's really a call to me to look at the falls in my life and not cling for dear life to the things that are really good so that I can make room for what's better. I think one of the ways that we do it is by normalizing endings, uh, right? Mm. Talking about it. This is a thing that ended in my life. This is a thing that ended. Um, this was a difficult ending. This was a difficult thing to say goodbye to. The more we talk about that, the more we realize that endings are built into the process of human life and life in relationship and life in community and life in meaningful work. Mm. If we weren't so shocked every time, I think that would help us. Yeah. yeah. You talked earlier about just 
recognizing when you were at church and people were around and you were like, this is too much for my system. I'm wondering from a mind-body connection, what does that look like in this journey for you? I, I kept thinking that as I read through the book, there are so many spaces where it looked like you were learning to to listen in and cue in with your body, but what does the practicality of that look like and what is the impact for us if we don't? So one of the real challenges for, well, two major challenges last couple of years is um, mm-hmm. I have some really serious chronic pain that mm-hmm. got a lot worse in the last couple of years to the point um, where it was changing the way I lived and changing the way I connected with people yeah. and also just really scared me um, because I didn't understand it and I didn't have a solution for it. And then the other thing was that I went through menopause like 10 years early. And like on one hand, the last thing I want to be is like that lady who talks about menopause all the time. The <laughs> other side of it is I think my experience would have been so much easier if I had known what was happening. And because I yeah. didn't, it was so much more confusing than it needed to be because it wasn't mm-hmm. even on my radar because I thought it was something that like people 15 years older than me were going through. And so my uh, father-in-law is a chiropractor. And um, at one point I was just asking him like just 1 million questions. I was going to every different kind of doctor you can think of. And I also wanted his wisdom. He's, he does a lot of research. And, and I said like, Papa D is what we call him. Like, Papa D, what do I do? And he said, Shauna, there are seasons when your health is a gift um, and you just receive it. He said, and then there are seasons when you have to fight for your health every day. And that's the season that you're mm. in. So he said, every day, read another article, um, ask another doctor, write a new list of questions. Um, like you, you are going to have to advocate for yourself and find solutions and try new things, almost like it's a part-time job. You're going to have to fight for this. Yeah. And looking back, I wish I, um, in the same way that I'm a holder honor, I also, when it comes to like physical stuff, I just assume it's going to go away and it's going to be fine. Um, Aaron teases me that I'm the exact opposite of whatever, whatever the opposite of I really nipped it in the bud. I will let something physical be wrong for months. Hmm. And just like, probably that'll go away. It'll probably resolve itself on its own. Categorically, that was not true these last couple of years. Nothing got better on its own. It only got worse. And so I really had to, for the first time in my life, tend to my body and my health like it was a part-time job. And it Hmm. took a lot of time and it was hard and it was frustrating. And I wouldn't say... New York City during a pandemic is the best time to try to make a lot of new relationships with a lot of doctors. Um, yeah. But one of the things that I learned on the other side of it is how, and everyone says this, but it's true, how easy it is to take your health for granted when everything's working, when everything feels good, yeah. when you're not limited by your body. But I also had, I've always been relatively strong and relatively healthy. And so I've had the blessing and the curse of being able to just overrule my body when I want to, right? It's time to get on stage, get on stage. It's time to get on an airplane, get on an airplane. It's time to stay up too late and get up too early two months in a row. I can power through that. All of a sudden I can't. I have had to listen and honor my body in really difficult ways. I've had to cancel things and not attend things and change my lifestyle. And, and I've had to realize that bill's going to come at a certain point and it's going to be a reckoning. And I feel like that's what I went through the last couple of years. And I don't, I don't mess around with that as much anymore. I listen to what my body tells me and I honor Mm -hmm. her the best I can. I'm not great at it, but I'm getting the hang of it. 
it's so our body stuff is so hard because it's like we've only lived in our body and so it's so hard to know as things shift and change either like through a season of pregnancy or like it's just getting older like what is normal in quotation marks and I'm not good at like verbally processing my physical feelings <laughs> like you know like if no you know I um, have recently met with a functional medicine doctor that we do a lot of work with at onsite and like trying to tell her different things that feel off just felt so unnatural for me of like I kind of have joint pain and I've never had that before and you know and then I think there's like fear with it around like mm-hmm. is this is this normal? Is this like just the beginning of the end? You know, <laughs> yeah. and it's like sometimes it's better to just like not communicate the things that are happening. Uh, and I'd rather not know the bad things, yes. just keep it in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that that's something that I've realized and it, realizing that no one's going to ask the questions. It's like I mm, have to really that's good. become aware and then communicate, like find somebody to communicate it to to say, hey, is this happening to you? Or going to a doctor and saying, I am having this pain. Is this normal? It has is helpful. It, it just is, it feels really hard. So I'm just acknowledging yeah. that I don't know why, but it doesn't feel like that's an easy thing to do, begin to assess what's going on in our bodies. And when something is off and when something's normal, it's just hard. Totally. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. yeah. And when everything's off, that's about yeah. the last time in my life. Uh, it's the worst time for me to speak to a stranger or have them examine my body, right? Like, that's been one of the things that you have to, I have had to push myself out the door. I'm like, all I want to do is stay in bed. Mm-hmm. But instead, I'm going to get on a subway yeah. to get naked in front of a stranger so he can recommend weird stuff that might not work. Like, this is yeah. hard. <laughs> But it is hard. And and I think it's hard and the alternative is worse. And I know right. so many women, myself totally included, I have not tended to my own health, for example, the way I tend to my kids' health. Obviously, if yeah. they needed something, if they needed medical care, if they needed a specialist or this or that, we're out the door, right? That matters to me in a very immediate way. And I will just let things go and manage it and take ibuprofen and just assume it'll go away. And I think that was the wrong course for me. I think uh, one of the reasons I'm will, I wrote about health stuff so specifically in the book and so much is because A, it's all connected. And B, I think women, especially if a handful of women were to read about this and call their doctors or do some reading or make some changes now, as opposed to when it becomes totally unbearable or untenable, that would feel really valuable to me because I did it so badly. It would be really meaningful to me Mm. if other people could feel like, oh, okay, I'm going to do it differently because of this. I'm going to tend to my health a little bit more directly. I think it's becoming more and more socially acceptable to tend to our mental health, and that's good. It should only become even more acceptable and um, celebrated. But I think women, especially mothers, are, don't always tend to their physical health the way they should. And I sure didn't. And I think for me, I often, I have trouble loving my body and sickness and health. I get really down on my body um, mm-hmm. and expect things of it and speak really unkindly of it and, and sit in that complicatedness. And so I don't even remember what it's like 
you know, when you live in unhealth for so long or if something's wrong with your body, you just become numb to it. Um, and then you expect your body, like you were saying, like I can will my body to do a lot and it takes, my body has to get really loud to get my attention. And I'm trying to listen to the whispers so it doesn't have to get loud Absolutely. Um, and all kinds of things, but mm-hmm. listening to my body. Yeah. Shauna, I'm always so grateful to get time with you. And just in closing, I'd love to hear, I know you're, you're a reader, I'm a reader. What are some of the books that you've read lately that just have been encouraging or felt like sort of guideposts pointing you in the right direction? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, on the topic that we're talking about, Hillary McBride's The Wisdom of the Body mm, is so, good. so um, good. I really love it. Cole Arthur Riley, This Here Flesh. Um, I'm oh. right in the middle of that. I really love it. Oh, I'm reading a book. Oh, it's right under my computer is why I'm doing this. Um, by her last name is Elspach, and it's called Extra Helping. And it's all about feeding people in seasons of need, either because they moved or just had a baby or because they lost someone. And it's about like the very, it's about both a vision for why we do that. And then like real practicals about how we do that. And I just love it so much. So um, that sounds great. It is great. It's um, I'm really enjoying it. And then also I read like, this sounds funny, but I read extremely grisly psychological crime fiction which I think most people would not expect from me. It's like my favorite, like it just gets me in a totally different world. So I'm reading a book about it. Which which of those are good? Yeah, tell us about that. I love Karen Slaughter. And like, is there ever a better name for a crime writer than Karen Slaughter? That's a great name for a crime writer. It's just spectacular. Yeah, Yeah, so she's great. I love all of her stuff. So Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, You gave us recommendations last time you were on, and I gobbled up both of those books. Oh, good. Something about transition, and then there was a poem book. By oh Maggie, yes, which was really uh, good Bruce Feiler's "Life Is in the Transitions." Yeah, that is a, a so forever good. favorite of mine, and I recommend it absolutely constantly. Love it. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. We are so grateful for you, and so grateful for what you're putting out into the world. Oh, great to be with you guys. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening today, and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.